Nothing had culturally changed. He had heroically done a beautiful thing and stood for the Lord in a beautiful and heroic individualistic way, but yet still remained wicked leadership. Yet still remained was this idea and concept that later he realized was false, that he was alone and not bending his knee to Baal. So he had this perspective that he had failed to have cultural effect, community effect in the way that he desired and that he was exactly like his father's and that he had not seen a change in community. Love Jesus, love people. We're going to be starting a new series this month uh, where we're focusing on Elijah but specifically Elijah and the transition uh, from Elijah being an individual awesome hero, uh, prophet to Israel, to uh, the space where post-fire um, post coming from heaven uh, and the transition that happened in his life individually that led into a company of prophets uh, and led into Elisha's life. Uh, ultimately, what we're looking at here is how uh, the Christian faith or God moves from an individual to many people uh, and the way he creates a, a, a dynamic effect in community where many are doing what one used to do. Uh, so we're going to really take a look at those things. This community, as you, if you've spent any amount of time in this community, you know, what, let me ask a couple questions here. Who's been in this community for more than two years? Raise your hand. Okay, who's been in this community for less than six months? Raise your hand. Sweet sauce, that's awesome. So if you've been in this community, though, for probably even more than a month, you probably see a great value in our teaching and our preaching and approach uh, that isn't singular person focused, but that is community and leadership focused amongst community uh, that, we all may, that we all may pray that we all may impart, that we all may prophesy, that we all may partner, and that we all may encourage, and that we all may be activated in God's design and purpose for each one of us. How many of you guys are down for God to do his thing in you and through you? Sweet, that's awesome. So there is a few changes individually and mentally that need to be made when we're uh, pursuing this kind of expression. Uh, individually, we have to change our mindset. When we are in a place of passivity, apathy or complacency, there has to be an adjustment there in our individual mindset and in our individual spirit. But also there has to be like a corporate or a community uh, adjustment to how we approach ourselves and one another if we're authentically going to operate in this company of, this collective of, rather than isolated individual hero culture Christianity. So we've got to move away from those things, not only in sentiment, but also in real practice and pragmatic expressions. Uh, some, uh, some ideas are conceptually very, very attractive. They're very good. But then once you get into the practice of it, it's like, hey, this is um, it's a little bit more challenging than the concept. So the concept of following Jesus initially can conceptually sound really good. Right? It's like, ooh, yeah, following Jesus. That sounds really good. There's uh, pleasures forevermore in the presence of God. And there's a dynamic element of following Jesus that sounds like milk and honey. Uh, but in the journey of following Jesus, when you really begin to walk it out with Jesus, you realize that you pick up your cross every day, die to yourself, and become alive in Christ. So the attractive concept in practice 
has an ingredient to it that is very nuanced and gritty and can be very challenging. Although simple, can be very challenging. And so we say yes to this journey and we do our best to count the costs of what this looks like. And the journey of following Jesus is of the cost of your own life. Isn't that fun? Isn't that great news? You guys like that? You guys really, really into what I just said? (laughs) The cost of your life and my life to follow Jesus can be daunting, but it's really beautiful to give our life to Jesus. And when we talk about it, and when we're going to read in 1 Kings 19, and we're going to start in verse 1, when we're reading in this place, we see Elijah's at a very specific moment where he just had a major individual victory uh, fire came down from heaven. That's pretty cool. Consumed the altar against the uh, prophets of Baal. That's awesome. There's a big power display and showdown. But then Elijah begins this journey that has him force, it forces him to reconcile uh, this loneliness, this isolation that has happened in his life. So we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to We're going to jump into the journey here of Elijah going from an individual hero and being taught by God to raise up in part and anoint to others. Because really the design here is that we would all be equipped. We'd all be equipped. We'd all be empowered to equip community and to do ministry in community, all of us together. So in 1 Kings 19.1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done of what I just referenced and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So there's two trends I want to show you right here in this, in this moment, in this time, that are really, really impactful to a person's personal journey. And it's the expression of fear and isolation. Fear and isolation are, have dramatic effects on our life. You should be aware of your fear tendencies. You should be aware of the the, the fears that you wrestle with or the ways the enemy tries to intimidate you or cause you to, in fear, behave unlike God. Because fear should be seen as this antithesis to God. God is love, and his perfect love casts out all fear. So it should be seen that these two ingredients, they don't coexist very well. That when God exists in a space, fear must not exist in that space. His perfect love casts out fear. It is if this, then that effect. If God is present, fear is not. So when you and I are struggling with fear, it looks like an opportunity in a moment for there to be a reconciliation of God's presence to that specific space in our life. So Elijah sees this place and realizes this place of fear, and he isolates himself as a result of it. Small note. If you isolate when you're in fear, understand the detrimental effects it can have on your life and do your best to rage against the night, to rage against the uh, desire to isolate, the desire to fight people off and be alone, the desire to flee and be alone in a place of fear. 
this flight, this fight or flight tendency that we have uh, as Christians can be really, really detrimental because we're meant to be connected. We're meant to supply love to one another, to supply encouragement to one another. So if you isolate, you are not only not getting from others what God has designed for you to get, you are also not giving to others what was in design for you to give. Are you tracking with me right now? Isolation is absolutely the plan of the enemy. It is 100% the plan of the enemy. And we come up with rational ideas as to why we isolate. We say things like people are dangerous, people are the worst. Aren't people the worst? And then we isolate ourselves. Well, sure, yeah, people could be the worst at times, but that's not a reason to isolate yourself. Forgiveness and love was meant to overcome the worst parts of humanity, not isolation. So when you and I isolate, we are using a protection that God did not design for us. Ooh, that is some. Are you guys hearing me on this? There is ways we use protection that is not actually God's design for us to protect ourselves. The Lord is our strong tower, our refuge in a time of need. It does not say isolating yourself from humanity is your protection in a time of need. It says the Lord is a strong tower, a refuge in time of need. So we've got to learn a new way of finding safety and fear does not teach us very well how to create safety for ourselves that is godly. It doesn't author or teach us very well at all. It does here, and it's very clear what it does with Elijah. And I think if you look at your life, you'll see that fear led you to do wildly unpredictable and horrific things, damaging things. Psychologically, it said that fear clouds your brain. It literally makes things murky, hard to discern what's a good idea, what's a solution. It makes things cloudy in your brain. So when there is fear, the obvious solutions will not present themselves because of the, the actual chemical dynamic, psychological effect that your brain is going through. So here's my little recommendation for you right now, is when you find yourself in fear, rather than allowing fear to define your behavior, invite God to show up in that space. Invite God to show up in the space where you're afraid. His perfect love will cast out fear. Once the fear is gone, the wisdom and the solutions will probably be really obvious. And if not, you'll at least have the spiritual and mental um, dynamic to be able to perceive how to find the right solution, who to talk to, what research to do, what routes to take. We must push back fear by inviting God to show up in the midst of that terrifying, fearful place. So Elijah isolated himself, but he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. There's something really interesting that happens when one season is over in our life. How many of you have experienced a great victory in your life with Jesus? How many of you saw that the next season was almost like grasping at straws as to what God was trying to do, and it was hard to ascertain a vision that was clear? Sometimes when we experience great things from God, we, we are a little slow or the next realization of what God wants to do comes a little slow. And when we don't have a vision of what God is doing, there is this ingredient of, of brokenness or sickness that can kick in. 
And you see it in the scripture where it says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. There is an aspect of a vision in God that is really, really important for there to be energy and there to be life on a thing. You cannot rest on the laurels of what has been achieved and what has been accomplished. So when you celebrate a testimony of yesterday, the goal is not for you to stay in that place of talking about how you got saved 18 years ago and that's the only testimony you got. The goal is that you go from glory to glory. You walk with God in partnership to where you don't just have a salvation story or a God healed my leg 19 years ago story, but you have a, this morning I woke up and God had revealed himself to me in this way. He showed me this thing. He showed me this business to start. Or he comforted me in a time of not knowing what to do. And I felt God's presence even though I have no solutions yet. Because the peace of God surpasses understanding. So I don't need to understand what God is doing in order for me to actually sense God and have his peace. That could be testimony of God enough. Too often we make this equation in our head that, that God must give me instructions on what I'm supposed to do and that looks like a successful season in my life. But sometimes God is just present and the vision that God is giving you is one of relationship and one of intimacy, of one of I love you even when you're not achieving anything at all. See, we got to understand that God does beautiful things in our life and he's doing a new thing the Bible talks about, which means that you're going to have to learn a new paradigm of how to perceive what he's doing. If you and I just go over and over again into this space of like, well, God, do the same thing you did yesterday. Like, I know what that looks like. I know what it's like, and it's really cool, and I loved it, and I know how to reproduce that thing, so let's do that over and over again. Then it's having the same meal over and over again. It's Cheerios for breakfast every morning. And not the Honey Nut Cheerios, but the other Cheerios that you have to put sugar and honey on for it to actually be even good. See, the reality is, is that God leads us into spaces we've never been before, meaning we don't have the skill sets necessary to be successful yet. Like this is what he was doing with the Israelites. He was leading them into the promised land. They didn't have the resource or the skills to overcome giants, to fortify lands, to keep those lands after they've won the victory. They didn't have in their own human skill sets the necessary ingredients to do it. It required God. It required God to develop strategies and skills, to develop uh, a willingness to trust him and wild obedience. God has this way with us of leading us into spaces where the only way we can be successful spiritually is for us to be perfectly obedient and relying on obedience with God. So when you see this, this, this lack of, of understanding in Elijah, when you see this lack of vision in Elijah, he despair grows. A, a, a lack of, of, of a heart to even want to be alive anymore. See, I, I don't actually think it's, it's that uh, wild for a person to, to become suicidal that has walked with God. You know, like if somebody is like, man, I'm scared to tell people that I've had suicidal thoughts because I've been a strong Christian and such, and these are wild thoughts. Why am I having these thoughts? See, I, I don't think you should feel ashamed that you're in that place. 
See, shame and guilt and condemnation, they're gonna, they're gonna lead you to hide real trials you're having in your heart and in your mind. And when you hide those things, you're not actually, you're doing what the enemies desired you to do, which is to isolate yourself from medics, from healing capabilities, from partnership. And when you see yourself in a place of despair that says things like, well, what's the point of all this anyways? It's not time for you to act as though it's not real because it's not convenient to your Christian reputation. Elijah is a biblical hero. And at, at, at the po- at, at, after his greatest victory, he was suicidal. Suicide by asking God to kill you. Suicide by prayer, God, just take me. I, I, I actually think that this is really healthy communication between you and God. Like, hear me really closely. If you're in this place where you don't have the desire or the vision to live, I would rather you talk to God about it. See, he talked to God about it. He told God the confession of his heart. I'm no better than my father's. I'm a failure. I have failed to have any different effect than my father's had. Because see, we measure what Elijah did as being profound. Fire from heaven, that sounds like it's better than your father's. But I think in my opinion, what Elijah was measuring was that there was zero cultural effect. Nothing had culturally changed. He had heroically done a beautiful thing and stood for the Lord in a beautiful and heroic individualistic way, but yet still remained wicked leadership yet still remained was this idea and concept that later he realized was false, that he was alone and not bending his knee to Baal. So he had this perspective that he had failed to have cultural effect, community effect in the way that he desired, and that he was exactly like his father's, and that he had not seen a change in community. See, because power, displays of power, God moving in power, the true, the true loving desire for us as Christians is that God would move in power so that we would change as a community and as a people. Right? God healed the sick. Why? Yes, because we want that person to be healed, but also we want people to believe in you, Jesus. We want that person to be edified and encouraged. We want them to grow in relationship with you. See, the point isn't that we heal that person's leg and that nobody's changed or grown in their faith and that that person never walks with Jesus. Because what was the point of the power display or the power of God moving if it wasn't for salvation, if it wasn't for deeper intimacy, if it wasn't for transformation? See, these bodies are fading away anyways. What's the point of them being healed if our souls aren't saved? I'm going to die one day. Don't heal my body if it's not for the effect of me or somebody else. Right? Like save my soul. Save souls around me. Move in power so people's lives are changed. So they find relationship with the God who created them. That's exciting. That's sick. That's amazing, right? So when we see these things, we've got to catch this vision that God is that God is doing something in us, not just for us to be excited about a power display, but that community can be changed, that, that culture can be shifted. And let's start with this culture, right? Let's start with this community right here. Let's start with this place of worship, with this place of, of church family. Let's start in this place 
And let's carry it in our individual lives to our families at home, to our workplaces, to our times we go out and eat, the times we go out and reach out. Let's bring it everywhere we go because we are persuaded that God loves us and we are persuaded that we love God. We are persuaded thus that it calls us to a high mandate of loving others in the way we say we love God. Forgiving others in the way that God has forgiven us. And so we see this shift start to take place and, and God starts to have an honest conversation with them. See, what I love about this, this whole story is that we see Elijah having a real therapy session with God. Like a real moment in time where God, God literally brings him into the chambers of therapy, into the chambers of healing his soul, healing his mind. Because see, Elijah was carrying this narrative that was causing him to have a broken mindset to the degree that he no longer thought life was worth living. So God doesn't just go, hey, why don't you be, why don't you button it up and be a better Christian, lift your hands and worship? Why don't you just do it in faith? Deny the reality of your mental state, deny the reality of your emotional state. Just kind of exercise some kind of Christian denial. You know what Christian denial is? It's pretending like there's not a mental or emotional issue. And just declaring things that we know to be spiritually true or spiritually biblical, but declining the real therapy and the real healing God wants to do with you. We've outsourced these things to therapists, and I'm not saying therapists are bad. My sister's an awesome therapist, runs the therapy center right upstairs. Not right now, but you know all the other times of the week. But what I'm saying to you is this, is that we have come to this idea as Christians at times that if it doesn't happen immediately, then it's not God. We've had these moments and these times where we're like, I need to go to the altar and I need to get, I need to get pray off this fear thing. I need to pray off this suicide thing. And we got to get it off me like it's some kind of shackles and chains alone. But there are plenty of times and moments where prayer comes into partnership or the communication with God, which is prayer, comes into partnership with a healing of the soul. And the conversation that God will begin to have with you is one of confronting lies, confronting deceptions, and the things that have held your heart sick and captive. So track with me on this. Therapists, pastors, teachers, all the different people, wise counselors in your life, they are meant to lead you to the streams of living water, to the streams of life, to trigger thoughts and ideas that introduce you to the fullness of life, which is Jesus. Let's not be mistaken in this. The Spirit of God is the fullness of life. It is the Spirit of life. It is the river of God that flows. And then when we drink from it, we have life and life everlasting. So when you're encountering those of wise counsel, what it's supposed to do is be like guideposts on your journey to being supplemented, to being healed by Jesus. Paul, said, Paul talked about himself as provoking each other unto good works. So you can describe the effect others have on you in different ways. Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's edification and comfort. Sometimes it's a hug, and you're just like, man, I really needed a hug. But other times it's also provoking and poking. You ever been, real? and I mean in a healthy way, you ever been spiritually poked? Hey, what's that? Hey, what's that? Hey, what's that? What's that? What's going on there? And you start poking on it. See, this is what I believe God started to do here. And he goes, and he lay him down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. 
Arise and eat. I love this, man. It's so simple. It's so simple that when you're looking for a mental and an emotional uh, triumph or breakthrough, do not neglect self-care. I know it doesn't sound spiritual. It doesn't sound like fasting. It doesn't sound like Noah's Ark, miraculous things or rainbows or splitting of the sea. I know eating and taking care of yourself doesn't sound at all glorious, heroic, or some kind of like sword going into battle. But just be mindful of the fact that there are very basic ways to take care of yourself that are helpful on the journey with God. I know that exercise profits us little, it says the Bible says, but it does profit us little. It may be just a little, but it does. It does things for us mentally and emotionally. We can't be so super spiritual. That means uh, a lack of balance and understanding the effect that not only spiritual considerations have, but also physical considerations, emotional considerations, soul things. Like there are things that actually feed you. So arise and eat. Change your posture and begin to engage in those things which fuel you and feed you. You guys with me on this? You tracking? Okay, awesome. Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. I love that cake. I had a tres leche cake for my birthday because I don't like dry cake. You know, have you ever had dry cake? It makes me sadder than not having cake. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, this is, this is good. Thank you. Tres leche is never dry. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Okay, so two times, two times of self-care. Sometimes we think like, oh, I did the right thing for like a week. How come things haven't been fixed? How come I'm still in depression? How come I'm still suicidal? How come my family still all hates each other? How come I'm still having abusive patterns in my life? Like sometimes we think like I do a thing once and it's good, right? Like we want this like wand effect. This lay hands on me so I never have to deal with this effect. Self-discipline, self-control, these are spiritual realities that we must cultivate. Hey, I never do this, I never do that. And Jesus will have you tried to develop spiritual disciplines. Have you tried to develop self-control? I know they don't sound miraculous. They don't sound Holy Spirit spontaneous. Uh, I, I know that. I understand that this is kind of the least like charismatic thing I could preach on, right? Just, just having and choosing discipline, self-control. Don't eat that. Don't say that. Like self-control, we oftentimes want to pigeon it into the box of being religious, Right? Like if somebody's exercising self-control, you're like, hey, don't be religious. Well, well, actually, I don't feel like it's religious at all for me to abstain from that behavior because I, in my life, relationally with God, have observed that that behavior leads to all kinds of awesome sin. So I've chosen self-control, of which I really enjoy the outcome of this self-control. It's a choice. It's not prison. So the difference between religion and self-control is one is rooted in empowerment and choice. The other is rooted in captivity, condemnation, and pressure from external things. Okay, you guys tracking with me here? Okay, awesome, sweet. Love it, love it, love it. 
Okay, and then, uh, and he rose and he ate and drank and went in strength and that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here's what I love about this. God brought him to a familiar place, the place of the Ten Commandments, the place that had been had a heroic time in the past. He brought him to a very specific, historically relevant place. And I like this because I like to take a look at what God does in my life as far as what he's done in my life and what he's doing in my life, right? So he takes him to this place and he shows up in a very specific way. And I'm not going to read all of it, but, but long story short, there was wind, there was earthquake and all these things. And God was not in any of the things that were taking place in mega big power, right? But he came in this whisper in the wind and this very still place like worship this morning. I loved it, right? It was like Mikey's like talking about like, what are those things in God that he's introducing you to that you've never met before? Like who's God in the valley to you, right? There's a part of God that you only get to meet in the valley. There's a part of God that you only get really introduced to when you, when you allow him to walk with you in brokenness, when you allow him to deliver you from fear. And I, and I loved it because there's this, there's this effect, like my favorite instrument in worship is the drums. I was telling Bethes the other day, I was like, dude, my favorite worship instrument is the drums, which means that whenever the worship team's like, yeah, oh, man, I just want to do acoustic set. <laughs> I'm like, why would we ever want to do an acoustic set? The one like instrument I deeply love is not going to be playing. I don't know if you know this, but I love the drums. Like sometimes I stand over by the drums and worship just so I can feel the intensity of the kick. You know what I mean? And it's just like, and you're just like, this is God. I'm sure God's in the drums more than any other instrument. Of course, I'm joking, but there's this element of, of power and breakthrough that I, in my personality, I love it. You know, like I, we did this temper, temperament test the other day that Tim led the way on. And I uh, found out I was a little choleric and uh, then a little sanguine, you know. Choleric's really focused and kind of driven, right? Sanguine loves to have fun. I was like, that makes sense because I'm either pushing or I'm having fun. You know, I'm pushing towards something, I'm running towards something, or I'm having a good time. And those are the two things I really, really love to do. And I love drums because it's like a choleric's expression of worship. You know, it's like, this is intensity. This is breakthrough. This is pressing. This breaks through walls. I love it. Let's break through walls. Everything should be breaking through walls, right? Everything should be a time breaking through walls. Come to find out there are things that God does that don't look like punching the door down to get to the next side, right? Like, really hear me on this. Like, like, this is how God showed up the last time they were at that mountain, or perhaps one of the most significant times they were at that mountain. He showed up, and there was light, and there was thunder, all these things on the mountain, and there's these power displays. The commandments got thrown down. Stuff got split. All this crazy power stuff was happening. And yet God showed up in a different way at this time. He showed up in a way that was a whisper. And for some of us, that could be uncomfortable because we want that concert that makes our ears bleed. You know what I mean? We want to feel this thing in such intensity. And it's like, yes, this has to be intense. This has to be fire. But the beautiful thing about God is that God also shows up in a hug. And sometimes he shows up to people that love the punching the door down in a way that is not at all punching the door down. And uh, because God is not contained to your personality type. And he doesn't actually just want you to know him in only the ways that your personality could allow you to see him. This is the miraculous thing about a relationship with God is that he wants you to see him in fullness. He wants you to see him in totality. 
holistically, which means that it'll have to go beyond your proclivities and your tendencies. It'll have to go beyond whatever your ideologies are. Like God's going to lead you on a journey that's going to require you to go beyond yourself. And so Elijah in this place, and I know we're coming to the end of this thing and we're going to take communion together, but Elijah in this place, he begins to get introduced to another way of relating and receiving from God, which we're going to have to in the next coming weeks talk about what that looks like going forward because it begins to introduce you. When you begin to hear from God differently and see God differently, it allows you to give God differently. See, Elijah only knew how to, in that moment, in that season and time, understand an approach that was this incredible power approach. He would say something as a prophet, and then it would happen, and then he would say another thing as a prophet, and it would happen, and there was rain and droughts and fire, and there was all these incredible, on the backs or on the words of Elijah, speaking God's words, things that were happening, and they were powerful. But God was introducing him to a thing that was a different kind of power, that was a different kind of an approach. And it would lead him to have a different approach with community. It broke isolation and deception. So he was actually not alone in the way he thought he was alone. This is going to be something that you've got to understand about fear is it's lying to you. You don't know how it's lying to you yet, but I'm telling you it's lying to you. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of pain and punishment, it's lying to you. And you, you'll understand it and see it as God begins to break the power of fear and he'll reveal to you what the lie is. And we'll cover these things in the weeks to come because there's a powerful effect that takes place in our life when we begin to hear and see from God differently. Like last week, I had this wild and weird encounter with God where I, I like, I cried in worship. And, you know, there's... This is uncommon for me to cry in worship and like especially that much. Like I was crying and I had I was crying so much that I had I had like boogers. <laughs> and to where I like had my hand on my face and then I took my hand and then the stretch of it, you know what I'm talking about? It looked like I took my kid's slime and I just shoved it on my face and pulled it off and it was like it was embarrassing. It was awesome because I was, I was meeting God in a different way. And, it, and it's not at all my first choice. If you know me, my first choice of God in me and through me is this right here. Woo, let's go. Come on, freedom. It's William Wallace at the front of the line throwing a sword. It's face painted, winning victories in battles weeping? Because that's what it was. Crying's an understatement. Weeping, crying, sobbing, boogers, tears, red eyes, looking over at Tim and going, hey man, why don't you go ahead and transition? <laughs> because like, <laughs> that's not very effective, right? Unless you want me to transition like that. <laughs> blobbering idiot up here just trying to figure out what life's all about. I looked at Steve and I'm like, hey, Steve, can you just spend time with me, sit by me, pray with me? And he was so good too. And, but the, the reality is, and the reason I'm sharing this is because as we shift and change the way we approach others, it's going to start with us learning, learning to allow God to approach us differently and teach us who he is in that different space. 
in that different season, in that different time. And it's going to feel very insecure because you're going to be going from what you know to what you don't know. It's going to ask you to go beyond your personality preferences, to go beyond your tendencies, and to step into something new.